that awakening has begun. So we used to, we've prayed and asked for awakening to come, but I believe that it's begun, and we're seeing evidence of it uh, just all over. Um, I was up uh, this weekend up in Silver Bay, and uh, think I've been praying for eight years for God to move in that town. And uh, all of a sudden, they're getting ready to have a tent meeting revival right out in the middle of this little town up on the North Shore. So I just want to encourage you with that. And then uh, the other thing is we were sitting over here. I really felt the Lord uh, impress on me that uh, for you all, you know, you guys are blessed. You guys are really, really blessed. You guys get to be fed in ways that many long to. And they don't even know what they're missing yet. They're, they're wanting something and they don't even know what it is that they haven't been able to taste. And uh, So you guys are blessed and what the Lord is really was saying to me is that this is a time, this is a season where many doors are going to open and the thing that's most important is for us to go in. When He says there's an opportunity, there's people right now that are dying to know the Lord. They're dying. I just had a, a thing that really uh, touched my heart. Um, Clint was talking about the hot spot. And uh, uh, three years ago, when we first started down there, we started working with all of these young teenagers that were part of the sober school. And uh, God just—it was really challenging because these kids were just—they uh, were really—they were. Really, we can't even imagine. You know, these kids are trying to figure out ways to stay sober, and uh, and so they can't go home because they're peers or their family is use, are using drugs and they had this school that was right down next to the hotspot called Pease Academy. Peers enjoying a sober education and in this it's a basically a 12-step high school. Well there were two young people, their brother and sister, that God opened up the door for me to spend a lot of time with. They're both Native American and uh, one of them uh, was at that time was 14 years old and uh, it was amazing how God, you know, he didn't have a place to live so he would crash at couches. I can't imagine being 14 and not being able to go home. And uh, and it's 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 you know you hear about things like that, but you don't really think that that would be like here. But it's it is, and you say, we see see it all the time. But this one young guy, God opened up the door. He would come. It would be 10 below zero. Normally at the hot spot, we wouldn't let people sleep overnight. But it'd be 10 below zero, and he wouldn't have anywhere to go. So we. Uh, tell him not to tell anybody that we were breaking our own rules and then we'd let him crash. Well, um, a few weeks ago there was a, I don't know if you guys remember the accident up in Cambridge where the six kids got, the six people got killed. Trey was one of them. This is a young boy that we had uh, spent time with. And I was really, as, when I heard about the accident, his sister um, texted me. I was in church and I got a text and she said, please pray for a family. We can't find Trey. Trey's uh, at this time was 16, going on 17, and he uh, he um, uh, they couldn't find him, and they they were afraid for him. And so she texted me and asked me to pray for the family. And she said the police had just called and asked uh, us to pray because they wanted to go out and identify the body. And I heard about it. My heart just sank because you know we we don't even realize sometimes how long we have to be around somebody where we can actually have an influence on their lives. And so uh, I, ten minutes later she texted me and she said, uh, Trey's dead. And I was sitting there and I was like, Lord, did I do everything that I could? You know, I was just uh, sitting in church and I was thinking about the sister who I love her so much and uh, she's a single mom. and. Uh, 
I was praying about it, and God started to remind me of all the times. One of the things that had happened with Trey is both he and his sister were really sad all the time. Every time I'd see him, they were just sad because their father's in jail. They can't go home. They were afraid that their mom was going to die. They couldn't, you know, they're out on the streets. And, and so, I, so I, I didn't know what to do. So I just said, you know what, you guys, I'm going to pray for you every morning until God changes your situation. So every morning they'd come in. I'd put my arms around him and I'd pray for him. And there wasn't really anything else that I knew to do except to just pray. And uh, it was amazing because they began to just really open up and really receive. They Every day I'd, they'd come in and they'd come right up to me and ask for prayer. And uh, um, we ended up having an alpha, an alpha course for um, all kinds of people. And Trey was in it. He's 15 years old, 14 years old. And he ended up going on to the retreat. And at the retreat, we asked if uh, some of the people wanted to pray to become Christians, and Trey came up and he asked for us to pray for him. So I started remembering that, and I just John, focused... some can't hear. Can oh, I'm sorry. Really speak real loud. Yeah. So I started to I started to just pray about what the Lord was saying to me about it, and he and he, and he basically told me. He said, John, you know, you can trust me when you do the things that I give you to do, even if it doesn't seem like much. I'm gonna move. And so I, I, w I was praying about it, and uh, we got invited to go to the funeral. And we went to the funeral, and it was amazing. We went into this church, and it was filled with teenagers. And you could see that some of them, there was a girl right in front of me, and I knew she was a meth addict. And this whole church was just filled with young people. And uh, they were there to, um, to for the funeral. And, um, and, uh, and right in the middle of the funeral, this man got up uh, about my age, and he um, started to share about how nine months before Trey had gotten in trouble with the police and uh, the door had opened for him to go meet Trey for the first time and he went and he met with him and, he, and uh, he, uh, he ended up discipling him for nine months and he started sharing about all the ways that Trey would ask him what's heaven like and, and how can I be sure that I'm going to be able to be with God if I was to lose my life or whatever? And he just poured out this whole testimony about how he had been able to mentor this young man for nine months. And, uh, and it was evident. His mother knew that he was in heaven. It was, it was amazing. And um, right in the middle of it, he got up and he said, Now, if you want to know, to, like Trey did, about heaven and your eternal destiny, Let's get up and let's pray. And the whole church got up. And kids all over started praying. You know, Trey accomplished what God had given him. I mean, it's a challenge to think of a 16, 17-year-old getting killed in a car accident that way. But God knows exactly what he's doing. But for us, you know, even if we don't get it, how can spending five minutes a day with somebody have a transformation impact on their life. The thing we have to realize, it's not about us. It's about God. And so right now, you know, you guys are getting sown the best. God is sowing the best into you. And it's so exciting. When I get the opportunity to come to Communitas, I get excited because I know that I'm going to come and I'm going to get to see the best. I'm going to get to see the first fruits. And that's what you guys are. But the first fruits are what's set aside for the Lord. It's what's to be set on the altar. It's to be, what's to be covenanted back to Him. So I just want to encourage you with that. But uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to actually turn this over. I have a good friend of mine. His name is Douglas Rains, And uh, he's an example of the evidence of God moving right now on this land. 
and uh, last year I was uh, I was uh, working on Rock the River. Some of you guys know it, and I heard that there were these guys that were going to come and hang out with me from the from the Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship of America, and I didn't really know what to expect. So I was like, all right, that's cool, you know. And uh, Doug and uh, another guy named Bob Bignall came, and they're both fathers. They're fathers. They're men that have been walking in the anointing of the Holy Spirit for many years. And uh, and and you know we have a lot. We you know when we are young and we experience the Holy Spirit, it's important for us to be mentored into that. And so it's been a blessing for me to be able to have a relationship with Douglas. And uh, I, I think I'll let Douglas share why he's here. Uh, this week, but uh, we're in the middle of an extraordinary adventure. So uh, I would just want to encourage you and have you bless my friend Douglas Rains. Hey, can we pray for you? Father, I thank you for the wisdom you put in this, Father. God, I pray right now, God, that our hearts would be open to receive. God, I thank you that you're turning the hearts of this younger generation to the fathers and the fathers to the children. God, before you return to this earth, and God, we just bless this man of God, the years that he's walked with you. I pray that we would draw in the deep well of wisdom, the deep well of experience, the deep well of truth that he placed inside of you. God, I ask you to anoint his words, to bring transformation to our lives. That we'd encounter the resurrected Christ in him tonight. That we might be changed. We might leave here more like Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So, we got people outside. we got people in the other rooms. And so the, the louder you can be, the better. Okay. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah. <laughs> Let's say Jesus. Jesus. Come on. Jesus. hair, no hair, that I'm part of the Moses generation. <laughs> well, let me tell you, part the scene. you are the Joshua generation. Amen. The Joshua generation gets to go into the promised land. And he is equipping you to take the kingdom of God into this land which has been vacated by that of the Holy Spirit. You are not the only ones remaining. We are seeing the Kingdom of God coming to high schools, coming to other universities. We have a group in uh, Commerce, Texas, at Texas A&M Commerce, that are like your folks. <laughs> they love Jesus. <laughs> And it's not unusual to see them prostrated on the floor. Uh, doesn't They don't have the real good carpet like this. They're down on the tile. <laughs> but they have one thing in common, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And we are called the, uh, the Moses generation to mentor 
the, the younger. And if we don't, we're going to miss this generation. So we have a tremendous calling on our life. And as I look out and see each of you, some smiling, some very serious. <laughs> but God has a call on your life. I didn't always. Uh, I was in your position, believe it or not. Uh, I, I, I wasn't. Uh, I didn't grow up old. I just happened to get that way. <laughs> but my pilgrimage started uh, in uh, when I was 14 years old. We lived in the country, and my folks were uh, uh, able to allow me to go to church with a neighbor that invited me. And as I went into that church, I learned some scripture. They confirmed me in the church. But it wasn't until six months later that as I was asked to read from the book of John chapter 3 that I realized that I was not born again. And there were 14 people in that Bible study that we're not born again. And as I finished reading that scripture, we gave our lives to Jesus Christ. Amen. And our lives began to change. But how many of you here realize that as you do that, the enemy is going to come against you? Can you believe that? Yeah. Do you think you might have it on an easy street from then on? Well, I happened to go to uh, an all-boys engineering prep school. And when the school was founded in 1866, it was in a nice area of Baltimore. When I went there, it was in the middle of a ghetto. And it was tough. And we would gather together, and we our practice field was about a mile and a half from the, from the school. And we would go in groups for safety because it was dangerous, I'll tell you. In fact, the rule of the street was if you went to the ground, there's a good chance that you would never get up alive. So it was serious. So one day, the, my brothers, that, uh, that we all came to Jesus at the same time, we were jumped by a pretty a good-sized group of uh, I'm going to call them hooligans. <laughs> and my friends ran off and left me. And that was quite a beating I took that day. I was a little puffy, red, bleeding, but I made it to the uh, practice field. And they ran up to me. And they said, will you forgive us? We were afraid. We knew that you could fight. Will you forgive us? I said, no. I will not forgive you. They quit the team. And for the next 26 years, I was separated from God. That spirit of unforgiveness separated me from God. I didn't realize how strong a spirit that was. Now, I still went to church. I would sing the songs. I would read the Word. But I lost that relationship with God because of the unforgiveness. In uh, 
1966, I began my career. I had uh, graduated from college. I had finished my uh, uh, military uh, uh, duties, and I had started my business career. I'm, uh, I'm a, a trained scientist. Whatever that is, uh, specialty in polymer chemistry, I'm a corrosion consultant, and I've been involved in that field now for 45 years. And they consider me an expert in my field. I became a workaholic. I would work 84 hours a week, and as you're raising a young family, I did not have time for them. I only had time to work, and also I was involved in my hobbies. I played polo, I fox hunted, I was putting in a, uh, a vineyard to establish a, uh, a winery, but I had a lot of money, but I didn't have relationship. The turning point in my life began on July 2nd of 1984. My wife of 18 years came up and said, Douglas, I'm leaving. You can have the children and the farm. And she left. I did not know how to be a father. My children were rebellious. In fact, in 1986 I had my first stroke. I didn't realize how difficult and challenged that I would be. My children did not even realize that my face had paralysis, my left arm, my leg. All they could see was anger. But I wasn't going to give up. I was going to seek the God of my youth. The one that was able to bring me up out of the miry clay, one that could take me to uh, where I was thinking was a survival mode, but yet a place where my children would survive. And they were doing everything they could to destroy themselves. Maybe some of you here are like that for your parents. You know, where they they are trying to help you out and you're doing everything you can to harm them. But you're doing it to harm yourself. In uh, October of 1987, in in a room much larger than this one, I was having my second stroke. It's the big one. It's the one where you die. And my, I had my youngest son uh, to my uh, right-hand side. The pressure in my head was so great, I thought that it was going to sp- just explode all over the room. And right before I was about to check out of this, this earth, I cried out to Jesus. I said, Jesus, you can have all of me. And immediately, I was standing in the presence of a holy God. (laughs) The pressure in my head left. A peace and tranquility came over me. I experienced the Father's love and forgiveness. And I saw a ticker tape 
of pictures like a kaleidoscope going across my vision. And it was every person in my life that I had not forgiven. As the Father had forgiven me, I had to forgive the ones that He showed me. He was calling me to obedience. I had to obey and follow and change. Now some things happened to me that evening. I received some spiritual gifts. God saved my life. He, uh, one of the things that I received was that of speaking in tongues. You know? I went to a denominational church at this time that they thought, whatever you got, we don't want. <laughs> and so I, I asked the Lord, I said, you have got to send me somebody that's going to teach me what is either wrong with me or what's right with me. <laughs> but I also asked the Lord in uh, uh, November of 1987, I said, Lord, is there someone for me? And in April of 1988, I was at a dinner on a Wednesday night and I looked out. And there was a lady with two angels standing next to her. And all three were glowing. Bright, brightly glowing. And I said, Lord, is that the one? And as I thought that, he immediately put love in my heart for that lady. Not those two angels, but the lady. And we were married in September of that year. A mighty, godly lady. But you know, I still had to have that, that discipleship within me. And God sent me a man in my life. In fact, I was going into a, a breakfast. How many have been to a prayer breakfast? Anybody here? Two or three, huh? Okay. That's not many. Wow. And I walked by this gentleman who kind of was spooky, and the Lord said, pray with that man. Well... He had eyebrows that stuck out about that deep, you know. He had uh, snow white hair that stuck straight out. And he looked spooky to me. And so, doing, uh, being obedient to God, I just got just as far away from that guy as I could. And then at the end of the breakfast, he said, there is someone here that... I am to pray with. And I stood up. He was the president of the ch local chapter of Full Gospel Businessmen. He mentored me for the next 10 years. We would pray every between 6 and 7 o'clock every Saturday and Sunday morning. We would pray during the week by phone. I was able to develop that relationship with the king because of the mentoring that man invested in me. 
while he is investing in me, college students are coming up to me saying, will you help us to experience God? So guess what I was doing? I was mentoring college students. John was mentoring me. And we were all growing in Jesus. Now my children began to change as well. Hallelujah. Yes, hallelujah is right. <laughs> I, I knew I couldn't take another stroke. It's, uh, but I, I mentioned that I had a... Uh, 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 I was putting in a, I had a vineyard, and I was putting in a winery, and uh, the only thing air-conditioned in my house, living in Texas, was my wine cellar, to show you where my priorities were. Now, a friend of mine told me a message of a young couple that was killed in an automobile accident, and the reason for their death was alcohol related. The father was enraged that he went all over the community trying to find out who sold the alcohol to his daughter and her friend. He could find no one and after two days of canvassing the community, he came back, he was tired, he wanted to go to sleep, he went to his liquor cabinet to get a drink before he went to bed and there was a note. It said, Dad, I hope you don't mind that I took this. You see, he was responsible for his daughter's death. My daughter was as wild as a March hare. At 14 years old, she said, Dad, I see nothing wrong with taking a drink. The Holy Spirit spoke to me, and I knew that I had to remove every single bottle out of that wine cellar. And it was about $23,000 worth of spirits. That's a lot of bottles. And I loaded it up. I got a big truck. Spent all day loading it up. And took it, drove to the dump, and I stopped off. Uh, this time I, I, I was engaged uh, because I'm digressing just a little bit within the story. And I went by my fiancé's house and she said, Douglas, let's give this as a drink offering unto the Lord. So, we did. And then off to the dump. Of which I was breaking every single bottle. They had to keep the dump open later than normal because I was still breaking every bottle. In fact, there was a man with one arm at the dump. He was kind of the overseer. And he came up to me and he said, do you have to break every bottle? And I said, yes. I have to break every bottle. And when I got home, I'm greeted by my 14-year-old daughter. She said, Dad, we have been robbed. <laughs> you know, one of the instructions that she had was she was never to go down in that wine cellar. But so apparently she found the key how to get down there. She went down and found out that it was empty. And she's telling me that we've been robbed. And I instantly knew 
that what I had done had saved her life. You know, God speaks to us in different ways. And He continues to speak to us. And I want to give you a couple of illustrations. I've been uh, able, God has enabled me to uh, do very well in business. I've been able to go all over the world telling people about Jesus. And Jesus is special. There is power in the name of Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? The Lord said, go to this town called Madon. Madon? Man, I had to go and look it up on Google and find out where this place was. Well, it was in Indonesia. Uh, Indonesia is made up of uh, 15,503 islands. It's the largest Islamic nation in the world. 220 million Muslims make up Indonesia. And God is telling me to go to Maidan, a city of 4 million people, and then he gave me a vision. Who spoke that vision earlier? Who, who was the person back here? Okay. Well, I had a vision too. And that vision that I had were people in white robes sitting around what I thought was a water tank. I saw their faces. And I thought, okay, Lord, you need to tell me when I'm to go. And right after I said that, God put two men from Jakarta, Indonesia, in my presence, and they invited me to Indonesia. <laughs> so I knew what time to go. And while we were making preparations to go, we're flying in, there was a great air accident at the airport that we were flying into that day. In fact, that morning, 149 people were killed. We were delayed a little bit getting in because they had to clean up that which was done a disaster. But all the governors in Indonesia at that time were Muslim. All of them. Many of the leadership of that area there were three Muslims and one Christian by the time my plane landed there were three Christians and one Muslim okay. there had been while we were in the air a peace treaty signed in Helsinki between the Achi which was a, uh, a group of uh, rebels who had been at war with the Indonesian government for three decades and the peacekeepers were coming to the hotel that we were staying at. You know, when God puts things in your way, we begin to see multiplication. Amen. So not only are we able to address the people of uh, Maidan, but also people coming in from Europe and other areas for this peacekeeping force. 
Let me tell you about Oxford. Zero Christians, zero missionaries. In uh, December 24th of 2004, many of you probably read or saw on the television the tsunami, or pictures of the tsunami that hit the island of Sumatra. But before the, uh, uh, the tsunami was a major earthquake. And that earthquake rattled that northern part of Sumatra. Now, on the distal end of the island of Sumatra was where all the Islamic leadership, the imams and the mullahs, and they, they stayed in there. The first thing that crumbled were the high-rises where the Islamic leadership was living. They all died. In fact, 70% of that leadership died with the earthquake, followed by that of the tsunami. God is bringing opportunities for you and me to make a difference by bringing the message of hope to people that He is putting in our way. Now I mentioned that one little vision. And as we we were doing ministry, and as we were going to eat lunch uh, Sunday, after a lot of ministry, we drive by this mosque. And all these people sitting around this mosque were wearing the white robes. And as I looked at their faces, they were the same faces that I saw in the vision. See, I thought it was a water tank, but it was a mosque. And I looked over at our group and I said, it's the Muslims that are coming to Jesus. We all got excited. God is good. Amen. You know, part of the ministry that we had there in that, uh, in that area was we did some hospital ministry. You're talking about healing, right? And uh, laying hands and seeing people recover. Well, we were in one of the major hospitals, and, uh, man, they wanted to wear us out going to all these hospitals. You know, they saw, we've never seen anything like this. They had never seen Jesus show up. We were told, given instructions, they said, do not minister to the nurses. They're Muslims. They will shut us down. I said, fine, we won't talk with the nurses. So we were, I said, can we pray for the, for the patients? Oh, yeah, you can pray for the patients. What about their families? Oh, yeah, pray for the families. That's okay. So we go into this one room, and there's a guy laying in the bed with a trach. Anybody know what a trach is? They had a little plastic tube uh, sticking out of his uh, windpipe about a half inch. And I asked him, I said, can I pray for you? His face began to grimace. And I thought, what is this all about? And then he said, yes, you can pray for me. So I knelt on one knee, I put my hand on him, laying on the hands, you know. And I began to pray for him. And when I finished praying for him, he stopped breathing. And I thought, oh my, what have I just done? And immediately there was an explosion. 
all of the infection and the cancer and everything shot out of this tube right by my nose. It sounded like a shotgun going off. And as it passed by my nose, I thought, Lord, that must be how our sin smells to You. It was the worst smell that I have ever smelled. And then I looked back at him and I said, would you like to receive Jesus? (laughs) You know what? This room was packed. You think we have a lot of people in this room and ain't nothing what was in this other room, this room that we were in. I mean, it was shoulder to shoulder and, and closer than that. They were all in. What was neat is when I said, will you pray to receive Jesus, every head bowed and received Jesus. Even those verses that we were told not to pray for. Amen. That is the power of our God. Hallelujah. But let me close with one more story. This is a story that affected us at our home. We had a maid. Name was Stars. Stars had about 13 kids. And she was cleaning house and she got to the area of the, uh, uh, the parlor and she dropped to her knees. And I said, Doris, what's wrong? She said, the Lord just told me to pray for my children. You know, thinking, well, Doris, which one do you know who to pray for? She's got 13 kids. So she started praying for every single child. And when God gave her a release... She got up. We found out an hour after that event what actually happened. The football team at Texas A&M Commerce, one of the players was a little agitated at his best friend because he looked at his girlfriend. He pulled out a gun and he shot his best friend. And he was firing wildly around the room, trying to kill anyone that he could see and shoot. And as he went up to Doris's son, she had the gun, he had the gun, excuse me, right at his head, and it would not fire. Here is a lady in my house on her knees, interceding, and the gun would not work. Let me tell you, there is power in prayer. The Lord prompted me to get a gentleman to come in to do ministry there for the uh, football team. He gave me the name Craig Bradshaw. Man, I didn't know who Craig Bradshaw was. But he was the brother of Terry Bradshaw. Anybody ever hear of Terry Bradshaw? Well, his brother was quarterback in the Houston Oilers, and then when Bob Phillips went to New Orleans, he went to New Orleans. 
And the Lord said, go. And so I did. <laughs> and he came, and he had a beautiful uh, tenor voice. He opened with worship. It's like here, you know? And, you know, people are just loving on Jesus, which is good. Amen. You like to love on Jesus here? I like to love on Jesus. In fact, his tutor was Larnell Harris. Anybody ever hear of Larnell Harris? Yeah. I was his tutor. <laughs> we got one person. Man, this is the Joshua generation. <laughs> well, anyway, let me tell you what happened to the football team. Revival was breaking in. Why? Because of Jesus. Jesus showed up. And lives were being changed. Okay. You can make a difference on your campus, your high school, your university, your work, wherever you are. Now, Douglas, as you call upon the name of Jesus. One of the things that we have to learn in our Joshua generation, the Moses generation had to learn it too, is we have to listen to the Holy Spirit. Do you realize the Holy Spirit is talking all of the time? Amen. How are we going to cultivate a hearing to listen to that of the Holy Spirit? We have to learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we do that? We have to spend time with God, talking, which they call prayer, but we have to listen with expectation that He is going to answer our prayers. Amen. You know, I thought that prayer was me petition God and never let up on the throne and just bombard it until I was exhausted and then walk away and think that I had done everything that I was to do. I had to learn to listen. If we don't listen, we miss God because He has something for us. That's right. That's good. You know, that's good. I've missed God. You know, when He talks to us, we have to cling to every word He says. In 2005, I was driving my uh, van. Uh, I still think I have a family, and I do have a family. It's all of these young people that I'm mentoring who are mentoring other young people. And as I was traveling on this two-lane highway, there was an 18-wheeler in my lane. I started praying in the Holy Spirit. I was afraid. Right before impact, this 18-wheeler darts over to the side, hits the the shoulder, shoots right back. So I would say he missed me in the front by foot. He missed me in the back by foot. As I'm watching in my rear view mirror, he is rolling this 18-wheeler. 
and it rolled six times before coming to rest against a utility pole and a barbed wire fence. I jerked that van around. I went back over to see if I could help him. He was uh, lifeless, hanging by his seatbelt. Couldn't feel any. Uh, first of all, I had to figure out how to get him out. He was the the truck was on its side. The uh, the door was jammed, but there was a slit in the roof about three to four inches long. I put my fingers in that rib and I tore the top of the truck off. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I have trouble opening a bag of potato chips that have You know, I tug and tug and tug. I I have trouble, man. I I can starve to death trying to open a bag of potato chips. But I ripped the top of that truck off. I'm still praying in the Holy Spirit. I unhook this man. I throw him over my shoulder, and he wasn't that small. But to me, he was like a 50-pound sack of flour as I carried him out the roof that I just ripped off. (laughs) I took him away from the truck, and I laid him down, still praying in the Holy Spirit. And as soon as his body hit the earth, God restored life into his body. And here's where I missed the boat. He said, tell them. What I heard was, tell him. You see, by this time, there was a a group of folks gathered around. What a testimony of what had happened. They said, it's going to blow, the truck's going to blow. I'm thinking that's not going to blow. I just walked right back over there with the the roof I just ripped off, turned off the ignition, walked back off, and they were looking at me. And I only shared the love of God with that one person. It took me a week to decipher what he spoke to me. He said, tell them. Not just, not tell him, he said, tell them. I missed it. I missed the opportunity to minister to a bunch of folks. He spared my life. He empowered me to rip off the roof of a truck, an 18-wheeler. And he restored life to this man. Now this man did hear the name of Jesus. But how many more could have been touched that day if I had been obedient? And that's why it is so important that we be able to hear and decipher what the Holy Spirit is telling us. He sets up the opportunities. And we have to be cognizant 
to be able to understand and hear what He's telling us. I don't want anyone here to miss that. You know, that continues to haunt me. Because I missed that opportunity. You know, I'm grateful for that one man's life. I'm even more grateful for my life. Because I would have been squashed. A van against an 18-wheeler. Not, not much of a, um, a contest, would it? Or is it? But the reason for telling you this story, it's important that you listen to the Holy Spirit. You know, I don't know if everyone here has made a decision for Jesus. Maybe you're a first-time comer. You know, for me, it started off in 1957 realizing that I was not born again. What Jesus wants within each and every one of us, He wants you he doesn't want some of you. He wants all of you. He wanted all of me. But he did not get all of me until October of 1987, right before I would die. You know, one of the things that's so important is that we have the opportunity here this evening to make Jesus Savior, to make Him Lord. It'll change your life. You'll never ever be the same. I would like everybody, if you would just pray with me, if you would just give your heart Leave it open and allow the message of the good news to just sink into your inner being. Now I'm going to lead us in a little prayer. And I want you to experience what I experienced. Okay? just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I want to stop trusting in myself and what I can do and start trusting in You. And when You died for me on the cross, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for my sins. And I ask you to forgive me. And I invite you to come and live inside of me. And be my Savior. And my Lord. Which means being number one in my life. I want to repent. And turn away. From everything. You in the Bible call sin. 
and I totally commit myself to obeying you every day for the rest of my life. Lord Jesus, baptize me in your precious Holy Spirit. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. I just want to say just one last thing. Would that be okay, Paul? At least one. I'm going to give you one more thing to do. Excellent. I love this. I love this one. You know, Jesus said in the red letter in Luke, and he was, he said that if we ask for the Holy Spirit, He'll give it to us. Isn't that amazing? Wonderful. You know, how simple is it? All we have to do is ask. Yeah. So just ask. Just, you know, I have found that we can receive the Holy Spirit when we praise God. You know, like when I came into here, I experienced true worship. I experienced the presence of God. I heard His voice speaking through you. I could feel it. We don't want to miss this opportunity. If we, when you prayed and you asked Jesus to be Lord of your life, He will be Lord of your life. He will be your Savior. That's step number one. Step number two is receiving the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I hate to use this as an illustration, but when we get Jesus, we get the car, but we can't go anyplace until we get the gas. And the gas is the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we can live a defeated Christian life without the Holy Spirit. Or we can have a victorious Christian life with the Holy Spirit. And as we receive the Holy Spirit, there are gifts of the Holy Spirit which we can have. Did you know that, Paul? I love it. <laughs> you know, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verses 8 through 10. There's nine gifts that are available to each and every one here. You know, if you classify them, there's the gifts of utterance, the gifts of revelation, and the gifts of power. Okay? Now, the number one gift of power is faith. Faith. That is available to everybody. Everybody can have faith. But it's the number one power gift. And then signs and wonders and healing. Healing! Under that, 
of the gifts of power. But what is that of utterance? Tongues? Interpretation of tongues? Prophecy? Did you know that tongues plus interpretation equals prophecy? Did you know that? That's right. So if you can interpret tongues, you can prophesy. (laughs) And then there's the gift of revelation. Excuse me, the gifts in the plural. What do you think they are? Knowledge, wisdom, and discernment of spirits. All nine gifts of the Holy Spirit are available to you. God will give them to you as you need them. It all starts with receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And it is available for everyone here. Yeah. Man, I like to hear that. Yeah, I like to hear that. You know, now is the time to receive the Holy Spirit. You know, in uh, Jesus talks to us in John chapter 4, verse 14 about the living water. Now, this living water is for us as believers. It is enables us to lead the Christian life. But then John goes through just a few chapters later. He gets to John chapter 7. He happens to get into uh, uh, 37 through 39 verse, verses. And he talks about the rivers of living water. He is talking about the Holy Spirit from us to minister to someone else. Amen. Okay? So the first living water is for us to be Christians. The second is for that to minister to others. If the other person has a need, in Acts 1.8 it says that we will have the power of the... What? Of the Holy Spirit. So one of the things that we're doing here in St. Paul is that we're going into businesses. And we are praying for business leaders and their employees. If we ask them what their needs are, and they tell us what their needs are because now they have confessed their needs to us, and by faith, we believe that when we pray for them, that they will have their needs met. We know that they will receive Jesus. We know 
that they're going to receive the Holy Spirit. They had confessed their need. It might not have been they didn't know their need was God, but that's what they needed. How easy is it if you pray for a person and you see a leg grow? Or you see bones that are crippled straighten? Or you see a hump on a person's back from deformity from childhood disappear? If you see families restored instantly by praying for them, what type of change and effect do you think is going to occur here in the city of St. Paul? Do you think that they are going to reject God when they see the miracle? Or do you think they'll receive? Let me tell you something. When you see the miracles, and I've been calling there in the Islamic nations for seven years, when the miracle is made in their life, they pray to receive Jesus. Amen. They want Jesus for themselves. <laughs> that same Jesus <coughs> is there for you. That's right. That same Holy Spirit is there for you. God wants you to have the power. We just ask to receive Jesus. That's the first thing. The second thing is that of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to have power. Just as I spoke in tongues for that 18-wheeler, I didn't know what else to do. It says that when we speak in tongues, we speak mysteries. But it also says in... Uh, First uh, Corinthians chapter four is that when we pray in the Spirit, we can pray with understanding. And when we sing in the Spirit, and I listen to you sing in the Spirit here this evening, you can sing with understanding. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is here tonight. And the Holy Spirit is for you. If you want to have a victorious Christian life, you need the Holy Spirit. Now, how many speak English? Everybody. How many believe that words are made up of syllables? Not everybody, huh? Okay. <laughs> now, who's had freshman English? Okay, some of you. Okay, I'll tell you what. Now, now it's uh, getting a little testy, huh? But believe me, words are made up of syllables. And as right now, as we begin to speak syllables, God will begin to place those syllables in the words. It'll be that of the Holy Spirit. And we will be able to pray in the Spirit by just beginning with syllables. And God will give us the power to stop 
whenever we want. That's true. And we can start whenever we want. <laughs> so what is the purpose? If you want the power, and Jesus wants you to have the power, He had to go so that the Comforter, the Helper, could come. That's the Holy Spirit. It's like the Holy Spirit is waving to everybody here and says, Here I am. I'm for you. So we are going to pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to ask you all to stand. Okay? And you can begin by saying syllables. Let God have your tongue. Now let me tell you something. You have to voice a noise. It's up to the Holy Spirit to make it into a sound for you. You make the noise. You say the syllables. And you are going to experience the Holy Spirit. Now let me tell you what else are you going to experience when this comes. You are going to feel a warmth come up from your inner being. It's going to rise up. And you are going to be on fire. Yes, it's on fire. Now some of you may get drunk. <laughs> you may get drunk on the Holy Spirit. But don't worry about it. It's okay. Okay? So let's pray in the Holy Spirit. I just want to read a verse to confirm the need for the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, verse 8. Just before Jesus ascended, He said to the disciples that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me. And I just want to pray right now. Let's just open up our hands and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of being a witness for Jesus. So Father, right now I just pray, God, that you would endue your children with power. God, we don't want to miss the opportunities, God, to share the truth, to have an impact on those around us. I pray, God, for each person here that they would speak your word with boldness. So Holy Spirit, come. Come and clothe us with power. Come and clothe us. For the kingdom of heaven is not in word only, but in power. God, I ask for a demonstration of the, the Holy Spirit tonight. Amen. 
Amen. Just linger in here now if you desire. You got questions? Feel free to ask.